you know, uh, who are you? <laughs> well, my name is Larry Brock. I am principal here at the academy, and uh, I'm eighth string when it comes to Sunday school teachers, okay? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know if you, you realize uh, we've got a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be thankful for in our in our Sunday school teachers, uh, Brother uh, DeGarmo, uh, he's, he's such a good Sunday school teacher, I tell you. And, you know, of course, Pastor. And uh, we do need to pray for Pastor. Uh, he's taking a little bit of time away. Uh, a lot of times people will say, well, why does he need time away? Uh, just ask Pastor Jones. There's just times that, uh, you know, you need to, to slip away and kind of, you know, refresh yourself and be refreshed in the Lord. And uh, he texts me, I think it was on Thursday, Brother Brock, can you teach Sunday school? <laughs> of course, my eyes got, you know, about that big and what have you. And yes, sir, I can do that. Oh, thank you very much. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm used to teaching kids from, you know, first grade to 12th grade and and we have chapel. It starts at 8, and it's done about 8.30. So if we get done at 10.20 or 10.30, we'll have a little bit extra time. Uh, although it was like one time I was, when I was in Florida, I was working in a church there, and uh, the Sunday school, I mean, at Sunday school, but the song leader would always aggravate me, you know. Uh, and got up one time, and I said, got my notes ready, and I had taken, you know, how the old computer paper was attached, so I just rolled up about half a box and just went like that, you know. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me, but, you know, uh, that's, that's not the way it is going to be today, although there are four uh, pages here, but that's pretty big type, isn't it? Yeah, you know. yeah, we're good. yeah, we're good, so, all right. Like I said, do, do pray for Pastor Brooks. Uh, also, Brother DeGarmo, while he's away. Uh, never, never was in the military, uh, just the time that I grew up in, and uh, I just don't know what it's like to be called on you by your country to say, hey, I want you to go here for four months or, or six months. It's just something that I've never experienced. So do pray for, for Brother DeGarmo for sure. Well, what is a Sunday school lesson? Uh Without going into, into the history of the Sunday school, you know, uh, movement, where it began, uh, who it started, uh, who started it, you know, uh, uh, whether you realize it or not, we, we have the benefits uh, a lot of times of many hours of preparation uh, that a Sunday school teacher uh, will, you know, do to be prepared, especially true of Brother DeGarmo and, and Pastor Brooks, uh, but... Uh, Today's lesson uh, was probably more for me than it was for you. You ever have that happen, Brother Jones? You get to, you know, preparing something, and the Lord lays something on your heart, and then he goes, uses that little pin prick and say, hey, that's something you need to take care of. And so probably, like I said, today's lesson is more for me uh, than it is for you. But you can just come along if you want to. <laughs> Uh, I think it'll be an encouragement to you. Uh, you know, uh, as we look at America today, I think you'll agree with me that we are in perilous times, very much so. Uh, many people would look and say, well, it's because of our president that we have now. Some might say, well, it's the president we had before then. And someone would even say, well, it's the president we had before then. And, you know, if you go back far enough, I'm pretty sure we could say there was no problem with George Washington. But, you know, I don't think it, we can just blame it on, uh, you know, a president. I'm afraid it's much more deeper than that. And that uh, I believe the cause of our country being in peril is that seeds were sown in the past People were taught things, and they were nurtured, they were watered, and now we're seeing 
them come to fruition. It is just scary when you start looking at statistics and how many people say socialism's okay. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. I just wanted you to kind of get the idea of what I was saying. You know, it doesn't take long uh, if you listen to the radio or the television or maybe even the Internet to hear the word generation. And, you know, you kind of think, what generation do I belong to? Uh, if you're talking about a biblical generation, it's, you know, 40 years. But uh, that is not, you know, uh, what we're going to talk about, the biblical generation. We're going to talk about a little bit of describing, and you'll kind of see how this all works in uh, to what I'm talking about. I went to the Internet, of course, uh, because encyclopedias are almost gone, right? They don't exist except on, you know, the Internet. But uh, I put, what is a generation, and how long is it, or what are they? And so I came up with some interesting statistics. From 1901 to 1944, is, if you were born during that time, uh, I won't ask if anybody was born during that time, uh, but uh, it's been called probably the greatest generation. And you say, well, why is that? If you think about it, uh, it was what they faced. The Great Depression. I mean, you go to sleep one morning and you're wealthy. The next morning, it's all gone. It doesn't exist. And, you know, a lot of people uh, died because they committed suicide over that, especially those who were really wealthy. Uh, but then there was two world wars. You know, we, we kind of forget there was something called World War One, and then World War Two, uh, And, you know, it's... It's just that I think you can say that that's the greatest generation. The next generation that's talked about is the baby boomers. <clears throat> you ever heard that phrase before? If you, you're a baby boomer if you were born in 1944 to 1964. Everybody's turning around and looking and saying, which one are you in? You know, yeah, I'm, I'm in that group. They're currently between 55 and 75 years old, and there's 76 million of us in the United States right about now. Us, yeah, I'm in that generation. Generation X, uh, they were born between 1965 and 1979. Currently, they're between 40 and 54 years old. There's 82 million of them in the U.S., well, we're thinning it out some. Generation Y, or as you'll hear them referred to now as the millennials. They were born between 1980 and 1994. Any, anybody in that area? Oh, okay. One or two raised your hand. Okay. They're currently between 25 and 39 years old. Old to be 39 again, right? Us baby boomers. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not just Generation Y. It's Generation Y.1. They're 25 to 29. There's 31 million of them. And Generation or Y.2, 29 to 39. There's 42 million of those. Then Generation Z. I hope nobody is in, well, you might be that young. Uh, it's the newest generation to be named, and they were born between 1955 and 2015. This is apparently the time this was done. They're currently, be, do what? 1995. Did I say 85? 55. You didn't hear that. That was my birth date, my birth year. So now you know how old I am. <clears throat> it's going to be one of those days, Ms. McCarty. Ms. McCarty's not in here. You know, when chapel starts out like that. It's going to be one of those days. It just doesn't ever stop. 1995 to 2015, thank you for correcting me, that's okay. Uh, they are currently between four years and 24 years old, nearly 74 million. Kind of startling, isn't it? You see, I, as I was looking at that, I have kind of a term that fits all of them, a description, except for the 1901 to 1944. I think we can probably, I, I think we can, you know, give the description of those below that, you know, boomers to Generation Z, 
It's the me generation. People say, what's well, in it for me? <laughs> uh, well, this morning, we're going to look at something where it's going to be okay to say, I want that. I hope I got you thinking. Turn over to Psalms chapter 18. Psalms chapter 18. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, I used 10 minutes up of my time, so maybe it'll be okay. I'm not going to read all 50 verses. I was kind of looking out for, you know, Brother Keeney. He's going to be preaching this morning during the morning service. And I was just going to stand up here and say, I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving because it is Thanksgiving on Thursday. And I was just going to see whose eyes got real big, you know. Don't take my verse, you know. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. But let's go back to chapter 18, verse number 1. Now, in my Bible, it has this little paragraph above verse 1, where verse 1 it says, I will love thee. Uh, You know, and sometimes above those you see things like thanksgiving for deliverance. Uh, This verse 1 kind of gives you, you know, the background of this song. It says to the chief musician, so by that, or it says a song of David, uh, the serpent of the Lord, servant of the Lord, I told you it was going to be one of those more, and servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. You see, the background to this is very interesting. It's a song. It's something that David wrote, and he sang, sang, sung. He sang, thank you, uh, this song to who? The Lord. He sang it to the Lord. And it says that the Lord delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and from the the hand of Saul. If you think back uh, about David's life, uh, the Lord chose him to be king after Saul. Why? Because Saul had been disobedient to the Lord. He said, I will not have you to be king anymore. So he chose David. And if you remember the story about David's life, he uh, was called by Saul. Of course, he fought, you know, uh, Goliath. He was called by Saul to play on the harp for him because of uh, the troubled spirit that Saul had. And uh, got to be where... The things that David accomplished kind of got underneath Saul's skin. Because one time they were coming back from a battle and they said, the crowd said, well, David has slain his ten thousands and Saul has slain his thousands. And if you're a king, that's not real good. Somebody else is getting more acclamation than you. And uh, so he began to turn on David. He literally took a javelin. Uh, If you think of a javelin, you think of the Olympics where these muscular guys and gals, they run through there, they throw this long spear, you know, and it goes this great distance. Uh, That's the kind of thing that was hurled at David. Of course, Saul missed. And, you know, Saul began to chase David. He would send uh, his soldiers. You know, he was hunted by hundreds, maybe thousands of soldiers. And David said, I have been delivered from all mine enemies. And it just wasn't Saul. Because I, when I was studying this, there was uh, a passage, and I may mention it again, but it was in... Uh, 1 Samuel, I believe it was, and this is off the top of my head, trying to remember because I didn't write it down. Uh, in chapter 20, how David had went to battle, and uh, 
he was at a battle, and the Amalekites came in and uh, burnt the city that David was at and took uh, his, uh, his two wives. He took uh, the other men, you know, lost their wives. They were taking their children as well. And those soldiers that were with him were very much grieved. And they were ready to take stones and to stone David. And the last part of that verse says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. So you can kind of see what I, hopefully you're beginning to see what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. Look at verse number two. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. This morning, I want you to see that it's okay to say, I want that. Everything we see in verse number two, we're going to talk about. And we can say, and I hope you'll say, and at least one of them, if not all eight of them, that yes. Yes, sir. Psalms 18, verse number two. That's all right. Yes, sir. Anytime you don't hear anything or if my southern drawl gets in the way, just raise your hand and, you know, I'll, I'll give it again. But it's, it's okay, I think, for us to look at this verse and say, I want that. And we can be the me generation and it be okay. All right? The, see, David uses some common terms right here. He uses some military terms as well. Look at verse number one. He says, the Lord is my rock. See, the Hebrew word here that's used, it doesn't mean this small little pebble that, you know, you get in your shoe or this small little rock that may be like happened to me. It got stuck between part of my wife's van's front wheel, and you turn, and it you know, and, and I feared it was going to be the bear, you know, all this hundreds, hundreds of dollars of repairs, a little old bitty rock, you know. It's not that little rock. talks about, it means a mountain. See, it's not those little rocks that we see on the side of the road, the ones that are under our feet, but it's a mountain. Psalms 18, verse number 2. The Lord is my rock. See, when I look at that and I think about a great big rock or a mountain, I think of my childhood. You say, your childhood? Yes, my childhood. Remember, I said I was a baby, a baby boomer. You see, the baby boomers didn't have all that technology that's available to kids today. You know, when, uh, for one Christmas, and only Brother Perrette would enjoy this. Maybe some of you else might enjoy it. Brother Perrette, I got a transistor radio <laughs> for Christmas one time. And I thought it was really, really cool because sitting in the closet was this tube radio that didn't work. Because, as Brother Pratt would tell you, the tubes wear out really, really quick. You know, they get hot. So, but it was transition. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't remember if it had FM or not. I don't know if FM was invented by then. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was a, an AM, you know. And uh, I was really, it's brown. I can even remember, you know, it was brown. It had this little handle, you know. It was silver on front. And I could just listen to it. Some of you are going, well, what in the world did you do for fun? Uh, we went outside. Yeah. <clears throat> See, we went outside and we made forts and, uh, you know, we made, we just made stuff, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, why we even played Army. I, my friends and I, <laughs> my friends and I would get together, you know, and we'd choose up sides and, and, and and where I lived, there was this great big tall, literally mountain, you know, like we're used to here in Alabama. You, it, you have few mountains and a lot of hills. But we would get up there on that mountain, and we would find the biggest 
rock there was, the tallest rock there was. Why, why would you do that? Because we could get on top of that rock and we made it our headquarters. You see, why did we do that? Because there was security. If you're up on that rock, you could see around you. And, you know, there was protection. And it was like our stronghold. You know, this morning... Like the psalmist David, we can say we have a rock that gives the security and protection and stronghold. If you're taking notes, uh, I'm not going to have you turn to passages of Scripture just for a couple of them, not these. In Psalms chapter 62, verse 2, the psalmist said, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. What a rock we have. What a rock we have. John chapter 10 verse 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Realize what that says. You're saved. If you ask Christ to save you, you're right there in his hand. And you can't be plucked out. There's protection. There's security. There's a stronghold there. I am so happy that I have that. I hope you do. There's another one that we can see in verse number two. Something else that we can say. And my fortress. That's a military term. <clears throat> you see, warfare today is a whole lot different from the warfare in David's time. In David's time, the warfare, it was close quarters. Today, our, not always, but for a large part, the military, some of them can sit in air-conditioned offices and have a joystick in their hand. And they'll fly a drone. And, you know, it's just so different. And, you know, we don't uh, understand what, you know, a fortress really is because of, of how we view and, and think of our military uh, and the things that it's able to do. But you see, in Old Testament cities, uh, Old Testament times, the cities were walled. There was a wall. They had walls around them, uh, a fortress, if you will. Whenever an invading force would come, the people would run to those cities for protection. I uh, remember reading about one, a city called Jericho. Boy, they were resting in their walled city, weren't they? But Joshua and the people of Israel got to Jericho, and for six straight days, they walked around. And then all of a sudden, on the seventh day, the trumpet was blown, and when they walked around, and what happened to those walls? That walls came tumbling down. They went to the ground. I also thought about Babylon, you know, that's later on in history, uh, Babylon uh, said, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, uh, there, there was a king by the name of Belshazzar. He, he was there. He, you know, was resting in the fact that he was awesome, that he was mighty. Uh, he, you know, if you remember the story, got the uh, utensils there from the storehouse that had been taken from Jerusalem and and, you know, he saw the writing on the wall, and he brought Daniel, and he said, uh, tell me what it means. And Daniel told him. And it says that night, Belteshazzar was slain. But Babylon, it's, it's, if I, I'm remembering the right city, it, they would have chariot races on top of that. I mean, that's a thick wall. How in the world was, you know, it conquered? Well... Darius, the, the, the king that invaded, they, they, they diverted the river. 
because the river went underneath the wall. You know what they did? They walked in right underneath the wall. And, of course, you know, the Lord had his hand in that because Babylon was to fall. You see, those people pride themselves in, in protection, especially in Jericho and Babylon. But you know what? We have a fortress that we can go to that will never be conquered. The, Lord, the psalms, psalmist says that the Lord is my rock and in it, he's my fortress. In Psalm 71.3, that verse says, Be thou my habitation. Oh, go ahead and turn that. Turn to that one. That was one I was going to get you to turn to. Psalm 71. Psalm chapter 71, verse 3. I was going to write down there, turn to that, but it didn't. Psalm 71, verse 3. When I saw this verse, I, it just kind of set me back. It, I hope you're reading your Bible and, you know, through, uh, and I've been able to read through my Bible several times, and it still amazes me. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible and read through it, and you come across a verse and you go, wow, I didn't know that was there. Look at Psalm 71, verse 3. Be thou talking about the Lord, my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given my commandment to, given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. I saw the first part of that verse, and it says, Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. You know what I said to myself? You're pretty dumb, Larry. I have a fortress that I can run to, that I can resort to, that I can reside in. And a lot of times, I don't. A fortress. I hope you have that fortress in your life and realize that whatever is happening, you can run to the Lord and he can be your fortress. All right, back to Psalms 18, verse number 2. He says that he's also my deliverer. The Hebrew word here has the idea of to slip out, to escape, to carry away safe. See, we are under attack whether we realize it or not. Satan is doing his very best to cause us to be powerless. If he can cause us to be powerless, then we are not going to be able to serve as we should. But you know what? We have to deliver. In Psalms 40, verse 17, the psalmist said, But I am poor and needy. Oh, does that give a good description of me? Poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. We think many times the Lord doesn't think about us. Wait a minute. The psalmist said, I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. He also says, Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. He is our deliverer. What does he do? What does he do to help to deliver us? You see, if you remember, I said we're under attack, and if Satan can uh, cause us to be powerless through temptation and cause us to fall for that temptation, then he's got us where he wants us. We're not able to serve. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with a temptation also make a way to escape 
that you may be able to bear it. You see, God gives us a way of escape. He's our deliverer. He can deliver us from those temptations if we'll only let him. Our problem is we don't. We just fall to those temptations, those trials, those testings. But he makes of a way of escape for us. He can be our rock. He can be our fortress. He can be our deliverer. But look at the next one back in Psalms 18.2. He can be my God. Immediately we say, well, well, of course he's my God. How dare you imply that God isn't mine? Well, just hang in there. Hang in there. I'm going to start to walk on thin ice right here because I'm on that ice with you. We say, yeah, the Lord, he, he, he's my God, he's mine. But I wrote some questions. Remember how I told you it was, this lesson's probably more for me than it is you. Hopefully you can answer these questions. But I wrote, how much time do I read and study about him. I said, how much time do I talk to him? We, you know, and, and I'm not saying prayer isn't talking to him, but I can't help but to believe that the Lord just wants to hear us. He wants to hear us talk to him, tell him our concerns, tell him our struggles. And how much time do we? How much time do I think of him? How much time do I serve him? You see, and I'll probably get in trouble, but you know, I'm afraid we think more sometimes of our employers than we do the Lord. And I know things can happen, and you know, you, you get up in the morning and you got a flat tire, or you get up in the morning and, you know, you're like me, uh, your eyes are watering, your nose is dripping, and your feet are smelling, you know, and, and you just can't get things together, and you just can't get here on time, you know. But when it comes to work, we're usually there a few minutes ahead of time. But the Lord understands. Well, yeah, he understands. But do I want to give him my best? Do I want to make sure that he is my God? Thank you for holding your tomatoes. Thank you for holding your stones. I appreciate it. I'm right there with you. My God. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God. But look what David says again. He is my strength. You see, the word here also talks about a rock. It's not like the rock that we saw in the first part of that. The one in the first part of verse 2 was, was, you know, for protection. But the rock that is talked about here has to do with being a refuge that's firm. It can't be removed. It can't be taken away. And you say, my strength. Well, I got to thinking, strength. What about physical strength? Well, you know, physical strength is determined by many things. Physical strength is determined by food. Food. Uh, try eating ramen noodles for a month and see what happens. Right? <laughs> Uh, some foods are good for you. Those that we like most probably aren't. Uh, but also there's exercise. That cursed seven-letter word, exercise. We do not like to exercise. Some of you might. But this baby boomer doesn't like to exercise. Several years ago, 
and you know maybe this is the way all baby boomers do it but you know we go to the doctor well your cholesterol is up your high blood pressure is up you know and you need to lose some weight and so we get you know really excited and we change our diets you know and we eat differently and and I did that several years ago uh, only problem I didn't stick with it but anyway it was several years ago and and I, I lost a good amount of weight of course I gained it back in the next five or six years but we won't talk about that but you know I, I at that particular time we uh, we were going to uh, the convention for school Ryan was, you know, in school, uh, the Palmers, one of Palmer's sons, and, and he was going that year, and, and you know, you have to exercise, and, and we had bought one of those, you know, exercise, uh, what are they called? Not a treadmill, got one of those that collects dust in my house still. Uh, elliptical, there you go, we had bought that, you know, and, and we got rid of that, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> We, you know, I was doing that elliptical, and I was losing weight, and I think it was the day that uh, the guys were supposed to run or something, and, and Ryan and uh, Pete, remember Pete, uh, some of the others, I think Sadie, I think Sadie went with us, you know, or whatever, and I forget, maybe Sadie turned around and went back, I don't know, but, but we went out running, you know, and I began to ran or run, ring, 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 ring. Anyway, I began to run, and we got, you know, as far as I felt comfortable with, uh, and we turned around, we were coming back, and I said, I'm going to see how far and how fast I can go. And so I began to run faster and faster. I'm sure Ryan would have been the one to stay with me, but Pete, Pete Peterson, he was kind of lagging back. And I just ran and ran and ran, you know, and I got there before those guys, and about two minutes later, they came, you know, struggling in. Not, not Ryan, but, you know, they came in. And all the rest of the day and going home, do you know what Mr. Brock did? He outran us. He got here way before we did. Now, today, if I was to try that, I believe I could do it. About 50 feet. <clears throat> but anyway. You get the idea of exercising. What about spiritual strength? Well, I thought I was going to be done way before this, but I might not even get through this. I'll have to really hurry. That's what happens. I start telling stories, and I get long-winded. Spiritual strength. There's physical strength, and there's spiritual strength. You see, our spiritual strength depends upon what we do. You hear the kids sing the song, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You see who I work with, right? Uh, Can it be that simple? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. If we read our Bible, if we pray, we exercise, and there are other things I know, if we exercise ourselves spiritually, we will have a strength that will be firm and cannot be moved and taken away. Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I tell you, when I started studying this and started hitting, you know, I got one of those computer bio programs and started hitting this, I was sitting here going, boy, that talks about that, you know, and I was going, wow, it's just amazing how a lot of this, these things tie together. But you see, David said, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. We just need to trust in the Lord. And like the song says, read our Bible and pray every day. And we'll grow. We'll get stronger if we'll just do that. David said that he wanted the Lord to be his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his God, his strength. My buckler, 
You know, if you think about it, you're th was that a buckle on a belt, my buckler? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's a shield. And whenever you think about shields, you think about this big, massive shield. Uh, I think about the, the uh, uh, Greek army. They had this big, massive shield, and they would put, you know, guys across the front. They'd put those shields together, and they'd put them over their heads, and, and you could shoot arrows at them. Of course, they'd get through the cracks a little bit, but you could do all kinds of things. And they were known for those shields because they provided protection. But the buckler here is a smaller one. It was maneuverable. You could move it, and it would protect you. It was easily maneuvered or moved. Spurgeon said of this verse, warding off the blows of my enemy, talking about the buckler, he says, shielding me from arrow or sword. The Lord furnishes his warriors with weapons both offensive and defensive. Our armory is completely stored so that none need to go to battle unarmed. See, if you, if you read the New Testament, uh, it talks about the shield of faith, the armor that we have. It's the same kind of an, the idea. We have a protection. We have a shield. In Psalms 91, verse 4, he says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth, God's word, shall be thy shield and buckler. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7 says, He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. You see, we have a shield from Satan's darts. When he starts flinging those darts at us, we just need to use the protection that he's given us. Let's use his word to shield us from those darts. One of the next ones, the next one he said, uh, my buckler, he said, the horn of my salvation. A horn. Whenever I hear the word horn, why we think of Brother Moeller and his trumpet, which is a coronet. And we think of Abby, little Abby over there with that great big long trombone, you know. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, boy, aren't, don't those instruments give such wonderful sound? You know, I sit there and I look at it. And I go, you know, how does it do that? Uh, I know there's valves, but where does it all start, Abby? Right there, right? If you can't do whatever it is that they do, you know, and, and, and they blow through it, you know, it's, it's, it's a trumpet, a trombone, you know, and it's just amazing how they can do that. I don't think I'd have enough grit to do that, you know. Uh, do that for hours upon hours, but people do. But that's, and, and those things are made of metal. But the horn it's talking about here is not a metal trumpet or trombone. It was made from an animal, and it had a specific purpose. Uh, Jewish people call them chauffeurs, you know, and, and if you've never listened to one, uh, you ought to put, Trumpet, Old Testament trumpet or Old Testament horn in the Internet. Look, and I did the other night, and I clicked on it, and it sounded. I would do it now, but I just didn't, you know. And uh, uh, my wife said, what in the world's that, you know, and a chauffeur. A what? You know, and so I told her what it was. But whenever they would blow that, it was for one of two reasons. Nowadays, there's more. The Jewish people have put more to it, but back in the time when it was first brought about. It was done for two things. One, it was to call to battle, or it was a call to worship. And I won't make the joke, are you tooting your own horn? Ha, 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 ha. But I'm not implying that. But uh, you have to agree that it was a proclamation, right? So I came up with some questions. Are we proclaiming our salvation. Are we telling others 
about what the Lord has done for us. Can we tell others? You know, uh, we, we, we can tell everybody or, you know, people at work or wherever, oh, boy, I saw this great big buck or, or you know, I saw this great thing on SD or on Pinterest. You know, we, we can tell them all about that, right? But when it comes time and the Lord nudges you and say, tell them about me. And we smile. Hopefully you're not like some of us that might not do that. We need to tell people about the Lord. Blow our horn of salvation, if you will, because people need to hear it. Because people need to hear it. Wow. It's now five minutes. Got five minutes, Jeff, before you have to get up. I may finish just right on time. All right. Look at the last thing that you can say. Yep, that's what I want. I want to be a me generation. I want these things that talk about my to be in my life. He said that he's my rock, he's my fortress, he's my deliverer, my God, my strength, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. You see, this word has the idea of uh, uh, being a lofty place, a place of refuge. When I think of a high tower, I think of castles. You ever wonder if they had castles in the Old Testament? I am so glad you asked. Turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Chapter Nope, not that. Oh yeah, if I get in the right chapter it worked. Boy, my heart just about fell out right then. I was in chapter 7. It said Solomon. I went, <gasps> where was that reference? Second Chronicles chapter 27. Jotham. How many of you have ever heard about Jotham? Huh. He is one of the kings of Judah. He's a very interesting fellow. Chapter 27. Second Chronicles chapter 27. Verse number 1. Jotham was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord... And the people did yet corruptly. Well, what is, why, did, why did it say something about Uzziah? Well, Uzziah was his father. He was the king. And Uzziah did something that he was not supposed to do. He went into the temple. And the Lord judged him. And he became a leper for the rest of his life. Jotham was smart. He paid attention. He learned from his father. But look, notice it says in the last part of that verse, and the people did yet corruptly. He built the high gate of the house of the Lord, and all the wall of Ophiel, he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in the forest, he built castles and towers. Wow. You don't have to go to science fiction to realize that you're, there's castles talked about in the Bible. Uh, you know, science fiction and, and uh, some of the things that young people read today, you know, it's got, you know, all these things in it. Uh, you know, we, we can find out about castles and towers and, and armies and battles and all those kind of things right here. Don't have to read those things. But notice he says he built castles and towers. When I think of a castle, I, and, I, and I looked, I, even back in, in Old Testament time, at the corners of these castles were tall towers, tall towers. 
I don't know if the one that Jotham built was on the corner, but he said he built the high gate of the house of the Lord. Commentators, commentaries said that the thing he built here, the high gate, was something that would allow him to travel from the palace to the temple. He could go on the outside and worship, but yet there was a passageway that he could go. He wanted to make sure that he was near as he could to be near as he could to be close to the temple. Why? I think he realized that it was a place of refuge. You see, the Lord can be our high tower. He can be our refuge if we'll only let him do that. Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. This morning I want you to think about Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 2. Because we always on Sunday evening think about Proverbs chapter 18, verse 3. What does that say? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I saved be, be saved from mine enemies. It's a scripture song in verse number 3. Now you know why David said, I will call upon the Lord. Because in verse number two, he told us about what the Lord was to him. Hopefully today, you'll take one of them, just at least one of them, and say, Lord, will you be my rock today? And I pray that he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it takes some time for us to be put in an uncomfortable place for you to bring us back to where we need to be, to let you be one of those words, one of those things that David said you were to him. And Lord, help us to be like David and realize that we can be encouraged in you each and every day. We just ask you to, again, bless in the hour to come. Be with Brother Kenny as he preaches. May we hear your word. May we understand it, Lord, and put it into practice in our hearts and lives. And, Lord, if there's one here that is not saved, that they will let this be the day of their salvation. Just thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are and what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.